Let's just take it from the top. You are listening to Night Vision. Hello and welcome to Night Vision, a multi-platform audio magazine presented by the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus, designed to enrich, enlighten, educate, and entertain. Hey, Happy New Year, gang, and welcome to uh, season number four, can you believe it, of Night Vision? Uh, We spent a considerable amount of time last season discussing the seven corporal works of mercy, so this season we thought we'd follow up with the seven spiritual works of mercy. I'm Bob Zielinski, along with Walt Peha, and today we're joined by the uh, chaplain and associate chaplain for the Indiana State Knights of Columbus, uh, Father Chris Shockley and Father Gregory Bim Merle. Uh, Father, Father, welcome. It's good to be with you. Thank you for having us on. Yes, thanks, Bob. It's good to be here. So last season, we talked uh, in depth in several episodes, uh, numerous episodes about the seven corporal works of mercy. Uh, the seven spiritual works of mercy, are they not as well known? Or I just don't hear people talking about them a lot. So let's let's cover what they are first. Well, I, I think a lot of people like the corporal works of mercy because people like to do things. They, they, they like to be able to say at the end of the day, I did that and there it is. Spiritual works of mercy, you you don't come home always feeling as good about. Like you, you don't, you can't just say I've done it and I know that I did it right. And part of that will be obvious as I, as I go through them. Pulling the list off of the traditional listing of them from newadvent.org. It's always good to have resources like newadvent.org to go to. The spiritual works of mercy are to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish sinners, to bear wrongs patiently. Uh, I, I don't think I like going on that one too long myself. To forgive offenses willingly, to comfort the afflicted, to pray for the living and the dead. So these the, these are the, the spiritual works of mercy. And you can't say at the end of the day, I know that I did it. They feel as though they need some sort of translation. Right, because they're 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 kind of they're they're specific in a vague kind of way. <laughs> they, they are specific in a vague kind of way, and and honestly, the the traditional listing of them uses phrases that most people don't use in their regular day. Ignorant, besides using it as an insult, it actually is a technical term. The doubtful, what is to admonish, um, bearing wrongs, like the, the, these are not the typical terms I use in my everyday conversation with most people. And I, I think if we go through each one, we'll, we can kind of flesh it out a little bit more. Because I think when you read them, because I'm looking at them right now, when you read them, they all look like, well, that one's sort of like the one after it, which is sort of kind of like the one after that. And you're saying, right. so they took like two of them and made them into seven, but that's not the case. Yeah. One one thing that might help us sort of understand what, what they're doing is, is to see that, how they're similar to the corporal works of mercy, because, of course, the common theme of the corporal works of mercy uh, is really that it's relieving suffering. There's some sort of physical suffering, and so you're doing something to help it. So in that sense, the corporal works of mercy are all very similar, too. They're just, you know, uh, variations on a theme. So the spiritual works of mercy have that same similarity, except this is relieving 
a spiritual of suffering. Um, so we don't always think of these things in, in that way, but they really are. Being ignorant is a type of spiritual suffering. Being doubtful or being a sinner is a form of spiritual suffering. So that, that's why they're works of mercy, and that's why they do, like you said, it feels like they're all similar, but it's because just like the corporal works of mercy, uh, they're really diff- seven different ways of, of helping relieve a form of suffering. So. And and I think the thing when dealing with the spiritual works of mercy involves more, I hate to say probing, but more investigation, right? Because you don't always see the signs that, that people may need this this type of work, right? Because if you see, you yeah. see, you can see a homeless person, you can see someone who maybe needs to be fed. We know who who these people are, and a lot of times we see them, and then it's easier to make a conscious choice to to get involved and to to do what we're called what we're called to do. Where it seems with the the, the spiritual works of mercy seem to be a little more intellectual <laughs> because sure. you can't yeah. you can't always see the suffering. Yeah, but isn't that so so very true though that that physical needs or physical things are are always more apparent than than spiritual things. You know, it takes a little more sensitivity um, to to notice or to realize spiritually what what is happening. So, well, I, I think sensitivity is also a key part of it. Is just you have to be sensitive addressing these things because sometimes the people who are ignorant don't realize that they are ignorant. The people who are doubtful do not realize they're doubtful. The whole point of admonishing sinners is the fact that they don't realize what they're doing is wrong. And so there's even a sensitivity of, am I judging somebody just by trying to do one of these things? I think uh, one of the things that I've been thinking is that the spiritual works of mercy, though, are closer to what we would consider evangelization than the corporal works. And and what I mean by that is, um, you know, as we go through each one of those, you're either demonstratively showing your spirituality or you're assisting other people to see it, um, which which really kind of strikes me as the essence of what we do with evangelization is to, is to lay that open and expose it. Um, am I on the mark or am I close or what do you, I, what I do you think? think? You're, you're very much there, Walt, with um, the idea that a lot of people love the phrase that's attributed to St. Francis, Francis, that we have no proof he actually ever said of preach the gospel daily, use words if necessary. A lot of people use that as an excuse to never actually preach the gospel. They'll feed the hungry, they'll give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, harbor the homeless, visit the sick, ransom the captive, and bury the dead, and never speak Jesus's name. And that was not who Francis was. Like That's so contrary to who Francis was, but Many people think they're doing it in the spirit of Francis. Like, we're supposed to do all these things, yes, but as a response to the fact that God has been merciful with us. He he has shown us his great love when we were in need, and a need that we couldn't fulfill, and he reached out and gave to us what we couldn't give to us ourselves. And so we have the corporate works of mercy people feel good about. They like doing them. They, they feel good about themselves afterwards, but many times they use it to say, well, I, I, I evangelized because I did these things, but if you never spoke the name of Jesus doing it, did you actually evangelize? And that's, I actually prefer the translation of that 
phrase that we still don't know if it's even from St. Francis, preach the gospel daily, use words when necessary, kind of very directly implying there will be a time that it's necessary to speak his name. Um, the spiritual works are much more um, explicit about bringing people to Christ. And, and in, in many ways, the corporal works are ways that we we kind of reach out to the person who, who's right on the edge and has no connection to the church. The spiritual works in many ways is how we draw somebody deeper in. So it's almost like the corporal works are our first contact and then the spiritual works are where we really start to dive deeper in the faith with somebody. Okay. Well now then with that, with that foundation, let's just jump into the deep end. Let's, let's, let's start go throw one out there and, and, and let's go. Uh, I have a favorite and it happens to be the first one. I like starting at the beginning uh, to instruct the ignorant uh, is the first one. And, um, and uh, you know, I think, uh, as Father uh, Father Shockley alluded to earlier, ignorant has a negative um, sort of connotation. But really, if, if you stop and think about this, this is saying this is really speaking to the fact that knowledge is a very powerful and good thing. Like knowledge is objectively good, and I think most people would buy into that these days. You know, we we strive to have good education systems for our children and all that stuff. And um, so this is essentially acknowledging, like, to teach someone to help someone who is who does not know and to lead them to knowledge, lead them to knowing uh, is, is a spiritual work of mercy. So I like this one a lot because I try to make it the, the goal of all my homilies that I'm, I'm teaching them something in the, <laughs> in the process. Um, so uh, yeah, this is, that's the first corporal work of mercy instruct the ignorant. The, the instruction of the ignorant is one of those ones that I love as well. Just in the fact, first off, just the word ignorant. I, I, I kind of love the to not know. That's what the word means. It just means to not know something. You're ignorant if you don't know it. And as Father Greg pointed out earlier, I love the way that the, the second one actually builds on that, to counsel the doubtful. You can't have doubts if you don't know anything about the faith. If you don't know right from wrong, you can't have a doubt. And after you know something of the faith, that's when you start to have doubts. I mean, and that kind of scares people at times because it's like until you know enough to know what the church actually teaches, you, you can't doubt it because you don't know it. But once you have knowledge, then you kind of run into these things where it's like, okay, how does this all come together? Um, and, and I love those opportunities to sit down with somebody at like a Starbucks or any other coffee shop. I've got a local coffee shop here in Kokomo that I love to meet up with people and just say, all right, what are your questions? What is it that what is it that's bothering you that you feel like I'm not sure how this experience of my life can align with this teaching of the church? Um, and I love those conversations, but a lot of people get nervous about them because it does challenge you to know your faith deeper, to be able to reach somebody where they are really asking some tough questions. It's interesting as we go into these spiritual works of mercy, looking at how the corporal works are in many ways what the Knights of Columbus have been known for for a long, long time. And right now there's an emphasis from Supreme to, to focus more towards these spiritual works of mercy, especially as we have this core meeting that the um, Supreme has asked us to start implementing, trying, experiencing, experimenting with. 
And in many ways, the spiritual works of mercy are what those core meetings are about. And the corporate works of mercy is kind of like, guys, we're doing these well. Let's keep doing them well, but let's not avoid these spiritual works of mercy. And I think that leads to the the one that people want to avoid the most, admonish sinners. <laughs> I, I think to tell somebody else they're wrong is the only thing that society considers a sin at this point. And yet that's what we're called to do, not out of I'm right and you're wrong, but it, just a true sense of love for them. Like, I don't want to see you going down this path. Um it's one of the most painful things as a priest who's been involved in youth ministry a lot over the years is you can watch somebody going down a path and you can tell them what what's right and what's wrong, but they still have to be the one to choose it. Admonishing a sinner isn't that you get them to do what's right, though that's your aim, but sometimes it's just saying, look, this isn't good for you. You're going to have to make your own choices, but I can tell you this isn't good for you. And I think sometimes that's the way we need to make sure that we admonish a sinner is not so much you're wrong for doing this, but that invitation to there's a better life for you than mm. the path you're walking down. Now, is that more of a function of a lack of understanding about the nature of sin and what sin truly is? Um, or is that, you know, we just haven't had the practical application and it's not being recognized as such? I, I think it has to do with there being more than one way to see sin. I mean, you can see sin in the sense of right and wrong. You can see sin in the way that you're offending God, which is a very important way to see sin. But I think for the person who has found themselves caught in sin, neither of those is that encouraging. And so many times I'll focus on just the fact that sin is anywhere that we aren't loving perfectly. So as we said, these things build, these build on each other, which leads us into the next one, bearing wrongs patiently. What is it to acknowledge that there is sin in the world without having to say, I can't be always telling people everything they're doing wrong. To imagine Christ walking the world, how he would have seen everything that was going wrong all the time. If all he did all the time was point out how everything everybody was doing was wrong, we probably would not have had as many followers from the start as we had. Even 12 might have been a bit much if, if that was what Jesus did all the time, was just point out everything that's wrong all the time. It's that fine line of, what, well, you know, judge not lest ye be judged, but yet you should call out something wrong when when it's being done right so but there are those who will go well you know it's not for me to judge well but it is for you to you know to share your faith and to exactly what we're talking about here i think it's that finding that barometer where people say is it okay for me to say something now or what point does it become okay for me to bearing these things patiently but admonishment all of the, the these last three that we've been talking about I, th I think part of it has to do with being able to pause and reflect on okay do I need to say something right now? And if I say it, will this person receive it? Because if they won't receive it from me, yeah, maybe somebody needs to say it, but maybe it's not me. Father Greg, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I, uh, I, that, that line about, you know, stop judging lest you be judged. 
that always uh, annoys me a little bit because it comes right from scripture. It's coming from Matthew, but people don't look at the whole context. It's stop judging that you may not be judged for as you judge, so will you be judged. And the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. So um, it, it's not saying don't judge. I think it's saying judge fairly, judge accurately, judge consistently. Because certainly that's how I want to be judged. I hope I'm judged fairly and with justice and, and consistently. And uh, if I judge poorly, if I judge, uh, you know, uh, without mercy, but or on the flip side, if I, if I don't ever even bother to help someone else, um, if, if we want to receive just good judgment, then we need to do likewise. So certainly we need to be merciful. And, you know, we certainly can't be just, you know, chasing each other and beating each other up with, you know, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. But um, but that line from Matthew is not giving a, a command to not judge. It's saying, make sure when you judge, you're judging the way God does, you know, with justice, with mercy, uh, to judge correctly. Speaking of the, these bearing wrongs patiently and <clears throat> judging in a merciful manner leads right over mm-hmm. into forgiving the offenses willingly. So I, I, I love your segue there, Greg, of just kind of talking about God does want us to judge in a certain sense, but judge the way you want me to judge is what God's saying. And frankly, we want him to forgive willingly. We want him to be merciful in the way he judges us. Mm-hmm. And so he's calling us in that scripture passage to be merciful in the way we look at others, to, to, to have, to look with God's eyes in a certain sense, to be mm-hmm. more like him in the sense that he forgives so much in us. And we hold on to things so much over others. And it's like, okay, if I want him to be that merciful with me, he's calling on me to be that merciful with others. I love that line of the Our Father. I think it's the hardest line of the Our Father. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Do I really mean that? Do, do, do I really want God to only be as forgiving with me? as I am with others. But I think people miss that in that uh, they they roll over the as, right? They don't say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But so many times we just seem to rattle through it, right? We, you're absolutely right. We don't think about it. It's how, it's how that line of the prayer is is recited. I think that most people just doing it by rote as opposed to, you know, really taking, you know, really taking it apart and saying, this is what it is saying. And functionally, that's really hard to do too, quite frankly. I, I'll i be the first to admit it, you know, bearing wrongs patiently is not something I'm good at yet. And I, I probably going to spend the rest of my life working towards that. Um, you know, so, so I'll totally own it. But, you know, to your point, Bob, you know, sometimes you're saying things you don't quite fully comprehend. And, um, but, you know, once you sit and think about it, you're like, oh man, okay, now I got to redo this. Um, but then the other thing I had some really good advice too, um, when, you know, you just sit there, sometimes you'll get in and you'll just grind over things and it has to do with a particular person or a couple people. And a really good friend of mine said, Hey, you know what, it, you know, just write it down and give it up to God and ask him to take this off, take this from you. And um, that is an excellent first step to being able to um, reduce that and to let it go. Mm-hmm. 
One other thing about forgive offense is just a little extra. Maybe it won't even make it in the final cut. Um, I always think it's interesting that forgive that word also has um, a financial connotation. You know, you forgive a loan that means, or forgive a debt that means the debt's wiped clean. And I think that's sometimes a very helpful way to think about forgiveness because sometimes people, um, you know, they say, Oh, I've forgiven the person because I don't have any anger towards them or I don't have any sort of ill will. Like there's no emotional part, but boy, that they still owe me or they're going to, you know, that they still need to make it up to me. It's like, well, you've, you've missed the mark on forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't about our emotional state um, necessarily. It's about, have we said, you know, I'm, I'm releasing that person from any obligation or I'm saying they don't owe me. They don't, um, you know, I'm not going to hold it over them or hold it against them or put it on their account. Um, I, I just think sometimes you connecting that language or the, between the spiritual and the financial connotation of that word um, helps us go a little deeper and, and really think about what forgiveness is. And do I release others when I forgive them? Do I say you're free, you know, from, from, from anything that you owe me? Um, it's just, I, I find it a helpful way to think about it. As we move to these last two to comfort the afflicted and to pray for the living and the dead, I, I think these are ones that people feel a little bit more drawn to of all, of all the ones that we've talked about. I think these are the ones that people actually do feel good about regularly doing and to comfort the afflicted. One of the things I, I find so powerful many times it, well, first off, you have to find out what somebody's affliction is, but diving into it, many of our afflictions are, are, are spiritual baggage that we carry around with us. There's an excerpt from uh, St. Francis de Sales in his introduction to the devout life, where he basically, an exercise in there tells you to ponder the fact that God didn't have to create you. He created you because he wanted you. And many times I've told people, imagine the person you wish you were. Just think for a moment, envision in every regard the person you wish you were, their financial situation, their spiritual situation, their emotional state, all those things you wish about the person you wish you were. And realize they don't exist because God wanted you here and not them. If God wanted that person to exist, they'd be here and you wouldn't. But God wanted you here. It's amazing how many people in various afflictions of life have never heard that God wanted them here. Mm. Yeah, that's um, that's powerful. Yeah, but I think there's a a lot of people who who. One of the like the <laughs> core spiritual problems they struggle with is is actually believing they're loved or wanted by God or by others. You know, like you know, there, there's many many layers like we can have to our afflictions, but oftentimes that's one of the core ones. Um, so that speaks directly to it that God, you know, created us because He wants us because He loves us. You know, and we're loved beyond what we'll ever know. Um, that's really good stuff. But do you think in a time of, of abandonment, which is kind of the time in which we live in, right? <clears throat> Secular society, is everything is disposable. People are disposable. Uh, uh, ideologies are d- disposable. Do you think we hear the, that positive message, you know, that, that you are, you know, that you are wanted, you are loved, you are enough? You know, are, are we hearing enough of that? Or is that what is one of our greatest afflictions? 
I, I think that reflects why the Knights have needed to be such an advocate for the unborn over all these years that we fought to have Roe v. Wade overturned. I, I think this was speaking to the fact that we were saying each and every one of these children is wanted by God in this world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we, we do sometimes hear this message uh, in, in, the, in our culture, but uh, it's twisted. And I guess that shouldn't surprise us because evil always is twisting what is good. And, you know, Satan's favorite tactic is to take a truth and twist it. So one of the things we hear a lot is, you know, you are, you are good or you are awesome. So just be you, you know, you, you know, you just stay who you are, be true to yourself. Um, whereas really we should be saying you are loved. You are, you know, you are good. You have this fundamental dignity and value. And that's why you and we all should strive to be uh, the best version of ourselves to be a, you know, a better uh, person, you know, more full of God's love and goodness. You know, um, our society sometimes takes that thing of, you know, uh, surround your life with people who love you and won't ever force you to change. Well, that's not good. It should be surround yourself with people who love you and who are striving to help, you know, you be the best, a better version of yourself. So um, I, th- I think, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I think um, that's how I run into it. Most often in culture is it, it gets turned into don't change or don't, uh, <laughs> don't ever t- address your sins or your weaknesses, you know, just, just be comfortable with what you are. And that's clearly not, not, the way of this spiritual works of mercy, but <clears throat> no, I think it, I think it does answer the question. And, and I think it really ties together everything that we've been talking about uh, in this segment, father, uh, father, Chris, closing, closing remarks, closing remarks. Um, we never got to praying for the living and the dead, but I think that's one that most people know fairly well and do fairly well. The spiritual works of mercy are wonderful in how they draw us ourselves deeper in the faith. Like, They are doing things for other people, but at the same time, it really does help us draw ourselves deeper. You never learn anything better than when you teach it. And when you share the gospel, when you are really actively sharing the gospel with others, it's amazing how much you come to know the gospel more yourself. And that's one of the things why the church encourages us to do these things is because it knows this is how our faith will go deeper. All right. Excellent. Um, you know, one thing we didn't do at the beginning was uh, was a prayer. So could you uh, lead us in prayer on the way out? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour your graces out on us, that we may be your instruments. May it truly be, as one morning offering prayer says, each thought, each word, each deed of mine, shall be an act of love divine, and everything that I shall do shall be my God for love of you. Amen. Amen. Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Father Gregory, Father Chris, thank you so much. Walter, uh, thank you, and uh, God bless. Night Vision is a presentation of the Indiana State Council of the Knights of Columbus and Catholic Radio Indy. Contributors for this episode include Scott Schutte, Walt Pahan, and Bob Zielinski. Night Vision is produced by Z Media Studios in South Bend, Indiana.